I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome to Blaster Cannon. This is Den of Geeks Star Wars podcast. My name is Megan Krause. I'm here with my friend Paul Herman. Yes, it feels like we've been doing this for so many more than nine episodes, it's but true. we've gotten a little bit um, away from our schedule. Now we're back on a monthly schedule, just in time for a bunch of Last Jedi news. Yes. Last Jedi. Yeah, so, <laughs> Last Jedi. Woo. <laughs> woo, woo. Um, <laughs> this week we're saying happy birthday to A New Hope. Um, Vanity Fair celebrated with a long-awaited set of Annie Leibovitz photos from The Last Jedi. Um, we were wondering when these would come out, whether it would be on May the 4th, whether it would be some other time. Turns out it was yesterday. Um, I was not in the time zone that I'm usually in. So I woke up and was like, I'm just going to have a leisurely morning. And then I was scrolling through stuff. And suddenly there's like 17 pieces of Star Wars news. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a good morning. Wasn't quite what I expected. But they have plenty of pictures and tidbits from the cast. And in this episode, we're also going to talk about the latest book releases from Delray and Disney Publishing, mm. some of which were pretty cool, some of which were less well, exciting. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that <laughs> in the less exciting part. Now, Megan, I don't know. Have you heard? I don't think anyone's heard besides my wife, of course. But have you heard my, my I, I call now infamous uh, Rogue One impersonation? Have you heard, have I told you about this? No, okay. no, I have not. All right, and I should have done a little more research, so I apologize in, in advance. Okay, for 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 you, Megan, and for those who are listening, uh, do you are you uh, familiar with the the part on? Um, oh my gosh, is it uh, the 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 jail planet? Is it Wunabi? Is that what it is? Wunabi? Or is it? Am I? I'm, I'm totally butchering the names. Anyway, I've got the book right here. Yeah. Hang on. All right. Well, why? Why you get the book and confirm my awful? Will Bonnie? Will Bonnie? Will Bonnie? Not yeah. Whatever. I was close. Will Bonnie? Well, anyway, on the scene where uh, Jin is getting rescued. Now, I never realized until like the tenth time I saw Rogue One that the guy who rushes in and starts yelling something. I never knew what he yelled. I thought he was just going ah. So I realized what he said, and I'll, I'll do my. I, I I say this all the time now. I think it's so funny. Okay, here it is. All right, here we go. Leanna Haddock. Like, like, like seriously, like all I say is now is Leanna Haddock. I'll just be driving, Ooh. and I'll just be like, you know, I'll just yell that Leanna Haddock. So that's why you were yelling that earlier on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I posted just, that. Just yeah. like, so the listeners know, I did not know he was going to do that. So, <laughs> well, no, it's just it's just funny. Like I'll be driving and I'll just I'll just yell that. It's just I don't, it's a funny thing to yell. Like just the way he says it, I think it's so funny. So anyway, I, I just I, I told people on Twitter I was I might uh, do my uh, my little impersonation. On the, of this, so there it is, Leanna Halleck. So uh, yeah, and it's we will be talking about Leanna Halleck yes, quite a will. bit later yes, on. Will. But but first, what what's our what's first on our docket, Megan? 
First on our docket are yes. the photos and interviews from Vanity Fair that came out this week. Mm. We have new looks at Ray and Luke's costumes, which uh, we've seen a little bit of before, but they're slightly different. They're colorized slightly differently now. And we have some new information about the new characters, including um, Benicio Del Toro is going to be playing, quote, a shady character, unquote, <laughs> um, nicknamed DJ, who has an awesome coat. He looks like he's straight out of Blade Runner, but that's all we know about him. Um, Laura Dern will be playing Resistance Vice Admiral Holdo. She has great hair. And Veronica Ngo will be playing Paige Tico, a resistance gunner, and sister of Rose Tico, um, Kelly Marie Tran's character, who was introduced at Celebration. And uh, we also saw Phasma has a new weapon. She has a staff, which looks really cool. And uh, I'm excited about all of these things. Um, possibly less exciting is some of the cantina uh, creatures, which have been causing some controversy on Twitter. So, Paul, where do you want to start about this? Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. You know, there's – you know, it, it's funny because I wasn't sure of when this was going to come out too. And I, I should have realized they were going to save this for the 40th anniversary because it, it's basically just a few weeks later than the, than the Vanity Fair Rogue One – or excuse me, uh, Force Awakens one. Um. It's, I woke up I, – I, this is how my normal day works. I'm, I'm giving you guys way too much information, but I don't care. Just deal with it. Um, so basically I wake up like an hour almost every day before my alarm goes off. It's just my body just works that way. And so th – and that's West Coast time, 5 in the morning. So like I just wake up and I just go to Twitter and just see what's going on. And sure enough, like first thing I get on is because it's East Coast time. They've already dropped. Why do you wake up at five in the morning? Do you I, have to? No, no. It's my body just wakes up. It's just my that's the way my, my I wake up every yeah. day. I, my alarm's set for six ten, but I wake up at like between five and five twenty five, and I just that yeah. is not how I work. Okay, go <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, it's brutal. It's, it's brutal. I, I can't. But once I'm awake, I'm awake. I can't go back to bed. Anyway, so I get so I go down Twitter, and then sure enough, they drop all this information. And I'm just like, Ugh, you know, trying to you know, and I'm half awake, so I'm trying to like comprehend like names like DJ and I see like this purple lady and I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, this is crazy. Um, you know, I'll just say, um, there's, there's something about this movie that is just not grabbing me, uh, initially. Um, the, tra I thought the teaser trailer was fine. Um, excuse me guys. Uh, it was not, um, my favorite of all the star Wars things I've gotten in the last couple of years. And maybe it's because it's like not as like it's Star Wars because we've got two films now. I don't know. That's that's a definitely a valid thing to argue. Um, there's something in, beside, in this movie that just is not grabbing me, and I don't know what it is. And there's like the Luke and Ray stuff. I'm like I'm like that's the, what I'm most excited about. The Poe Finn stuff. Um, I, you know, I don't know much about what's going on, so that's another thing. I, I'm just like, okay, I, I love the, I love Finn a lot, so I'm really excited. I'm not the biggest Poe fan, um, but whatever. I, I, he's not terrible. He's he's fun. So everything <laughs> um, about this character, about these characters, I'm like, it's cool. But it just was, you know, it just not. I'm, it didn't get me as excited. It was fun to read about, but it didn't get me as excited. Um, I I thought Laura Dern's character, and I, I forgive me, what's her name again? It's like I want to say Armadillo. That's not her name, obviously. But no, it's she's uh, she's got a title. It's Vice Admiral Holdo. Holdo, that's right, Vice Admiral Holdo. I want I wanted to say Armadillo for some reason, but Holdo. Okay, 
Um, actually, I, I thought it was interesting they, they, they shot her from behind rather than the front. So to show off her hair, mm-hmm, I right. don't like. I don't usually like the pink color scheme, but I thought her hair looked really cool. No, it did. I yeah. immediately sent it to my friend who cosplays and was like, "You have to cosplay this character." Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that they that I, the the pink hair is it pink or purple? Is it is it has it been the? It's sort of shaded. It like blends from one to the other sure. but what i kind of liked about it is it's sort of a natural looking pink like it almost has a little bit of like tan or yellow in it and then shades to the really bright pink sure mm-hmm. well reason i bring it up is because um is that in universe uh is that in universe natural color or is that dyed in universe? So, meaning. So, <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly honest. This was being discussed on Twitter too, okay. and I immediately tuned out because I did not care. Like, no, <laughs> there's, no, so many, <laughs> there's so many things in this universe. I mean, we're going to talk about aliens later. I have so many questions about the aliens in this movie, but whether or not her hair is naturally pink. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. Well, but see, I don't know. She's humanoid with pink hair. That's all I need. Well, I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting to have someone with natural pink hair. I just think it'd be it'd be kind of a different flavor, if you will. I mean, it's kind of a lack of a. That's not a very good you know word for it. But but that's, <laughs> it would, that's yeah, and it would answer answer an important question. Like, is that something that's possible in this universe? Um. I think Pablo Hidalgo was talking about it. I'd have to go check his tweets, but the answer to this might be out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't – it's one of those things I want to find out in a guidebook, like, more than anything. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not – I don't need to have a tweet about it. Like, that's – kind of say a little side conversation about this real real quick. I don't like people, like, like from the Lucasfilm tweeting, like, answers of things. I, I'd rather just find out, like – let me know later. Like, even if it's minute stuff, like, let me find out in a guidebook or something. That's why. Mm-hmm. I, I, and you probably will, too. Well, I bet this right, will be yeah. in the guidebook. I mean, uh, you know, that's why I don't really follow the, the Lucasfilm story group people, is because I don't want to know answers about everything. I kind of want to, like, find them out for myself. If someone retweets them, I'm like, okay, that's fine. But I mean, like, for the most part, I want to be, like, as, like, I want to stay as, like, pure as I can. You know, so a lot of the stuff like, you know, like, for instance, I did thought it was funny. Uh, I think it was funny that uh, when he tweet when uh, Pablo Hidalgo, Hidalgo changed his Twitter handle name to it's not a Bothan <laughs> for that alien that looked Man, like. Man, I was right there asking whether it was a Bothan with everybody else in the trenches. And he answered. That's for sure. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I thought that was funny. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, there was in one of the Vanity Fair pictures, there is a picture of a horse kind of alienish, like it pretty much resembles a humanoid horse. And yeah, it's got like a long face and yeah. pointed ears. And it's very reminiscent of, of, of a Bothan from the EU, from the Legends universe. So, you know, people immediately jumped to conclusions and said, is this a Bothan spy? And he said, it's not a Bothan. So, uh, yeah. But speaking of the aliens, what did you want to talk about the aliens today, Megan? So one of the things that were um, released, revealed in these photographs were a bunch of Cantina characters from a world called Canto Bite, which is a name that, first of all, I liked a lot better before I said it out loud. Like, it's a cool-looking name, it's fine, but when you say it, it sounds like the name of a hacker from a 90s movie, and I keep laughing about that. 
But um, Canto Bight is a uh, sort of high-class area. It's where a bunch of rich influencers go. And so there's this image of all the, the creatures. And I was one of the people who kind of felt like the, the creatures were a little bland. There were a lot of very humanoid characters. There were not really many recognizable aliens. There were a lot of characters with, like, brown, like, tan skin and not, like, I want more color. You know, I want, like, purple aliens and, like, really strange designs. And that just wasn't really what Ryan Johnson was going for. And this became quite a, a big conversation on Twitter among people that are concerned with the minutia of aliens um, about whether or not more legacy aliens, like, meaning creatures we've seen in the movies before, should appear, um... I tend, and I've said this since The Force Awakens came out, that I'd like to see more alien characters because I kind of grew up with the prequels and with seeing these really brightly colored Nautilans and Togrunta and Twi'leks, and I'm kind of, I like that, but the sequel trilogy has been going in this more realistic direction or more um, kind of muted color palette for their aliens. So um, Ryan Johnson kind of addressed it. He put out a tweet um, that says, I choose when you see legacy aliens and when you're surrounded by new ones based solely on what the story requires. Sorry, guys, that's how I roll. And he, like, takes a pretty casual tone on Twitter. So at first I was sort of like, the tone sounds kind of flippant, but I understand that Twitter is a casual platform. But this argument about, like, based solely on what the story requires, we don't really know what that means yet. Like, what what would require the aliens to have a particular design? We don't know if that's going to be explained in the universe, but I kind of think it's just a personal choice. It's just what he thinks looks good on the camera right. and looks good for Star Wars. So... <clears throat> I was definitely of the camp that I wanted a little more variety in my aliens. I wanted some stranger creatures. And we saw, like, the the equine kind of alien was really tall. Some of them were really small. Like, some of them had cool clothes. But I still I can't help but kind of almost feel that generation gap of, like, prequel fans are expecting something a little wilder. And we're not, we're not getting it in the sequel right now. Right. Well... For me, this is probably the most, like, not disappointing, but just not very exciting thing for me. Now, I'm going to stay – I got to explain myself here. Now, for people who might not know my other podcast of history is that I've been on a lot of Marvel podcasts, superhero podcasts, um, talking about the Marvel films and, and whatnot. Uh, I grew up a, a hardcore Marvel fan, so I I have kind of seen the the – you know, from panel to screen is a is a very rough translation. Now, bear with me. So, one of the things I learned with with superhero movies, and I think this goes for most everything, but I kind of realized it was mainly because of superhero stuff, is that when you have a still, it's very different than seeing something in live action, right? It's all about you know you have it's it's been doctored, it's been you know it's it's you don't see things moving. You know, context. It's there's so many different you know thing variables that go into um, what makes a still you know what it is you know or what compare it to to a actually moving. So when I see a costume move, it's different than seeing it in action. And I, I, there's so many different examples of of things that I was like a lot of things like in the Avengers movie that were coming out. I was not very excited about 
before it came out. And then I saw the movie and I was blown away. And it's one of my favorite movies ever of all time. And that's, you know, that's a lot of different reasons. But I'm going to put it back to this. Look at the Force Awakens Vanity Fair shots. All of Maz Kanata's castle aliens, I loved. I loved all of them. I thought they were amazing. I could not wait to see them on screen. Got them on screen. It was the most underwhelming alien, you know, uh, to, in my opinion, the most boring, bland, just not, didn't give me anything that I wanted from aliens, like from Jabba's Palace or Moss Eisley Cantina. Um, so my, my point is this. It's hard. For, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do or die on one picture. A couple of pictures from a set that I don't have the context, the lighting, all. Excuse me, all that stuff. I'm not gonna. You know, put all my eggs in one basket. I want to see these creatures in motion. I want to see them in context of what's going on, and then I might change my whole opinion. So, hmm. I, I, you know, so I want to say for the, for the record, you know, there was an example of seeing stills that I loved and that I actually didn't really like very much. And there was an example of stills that I didn't like and that I loved, you know, so it can go either direction. And, and but me saying I'm not excited for these pictures, it, it should not alarm anyone. Like, is this guy like question his Star Wars fandom? No, 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 no. Just bear with me. Like, these, these pictures are just weird. And I don't know how I feel about it because it seems it seems very awkward to me and not in a good way because sometimes good awkward is good, right? It can be it can embrace a weirder aspect of star Wars. This just seems off to me and I don't know what it is. And again, I do. I feel like these pictures are very intentionally colored. And I guess what I mean by that is that what I was mentioning before with Ray and Luke's costumes, they look much more Brown in comparison to the surroundings than they did in um, some of the shots we saw at celebration. Like Ray's costume looks kind of like, blue shading to gray luke's costume looks gray whereas here they look very brown they look kind of more like the traditional jedi robes and i don't know if that's a change that has been made or if that is just the way these were shot and i really i love the vanity fair photos i think like annie leibovitz is really good and makes these really kind of almost classical feeling photos but one of the things that makes them classical feeling is they do seem a little stiff they seem like the characters were posed very intentionally and that might be giving some of that feeling of them kind of being trapped in amber almost. So would you say, it sounds like you you don't really like the lighting, but would you say that just based on the designs themselves, like if these were drawings in a comic book, would you be happy with the variety and like the types of aliens? Was there anything that you went like, oh, I'm excited to see that character, or are you completely undecided still? There's one that was like almost very Muppetish, like very very Muppetish, but it was it's not a very good picture of it. So it's just like it's I'm not like super excited to see it. None of the aliens you know popped out at me where I was like, this is so cool. I was like, eh. You know, and like, you know, you, you brought up the whole, you know, Ryan Johnson, there's no familiar aliens and it was his decision, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of a hot button topic. I know there's a, a guy on Twitter who uh, is, his name is Andy. And I don't know if Andy listens to this or not, but he's a good guy. He's very, he's very passionate about the aliens and the Force, Awak- the Force Awakens and the Rogue One. I love the Rogue One aliens too myself. Um, I, for you know, he's, he doesn't care. You know, he always talks about on Twitter. He doesn't care about the 
you know, aliens. And I, I totally get it. Like, I, I think, you know, people want to put their stamp on Star Wars. But one of the things that, like, I, I would love to have more of a balance finally. That's one thing that George did a little bit better, I felt, is that even in, you know, the, 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 the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, there is, they're not like a lot of familiar aliens, but there's enough to give it some kind of grounding, if you will. And it, that's not really a good word for it, but it keeps you reminding like, oh yeah, these are Star Wars aliens. Like they're my, you know, they're, they're you know, they're kind of migrated together, you know, for a reason. Um, when you keep introducing new aliens and it's like, I know it's a giant galaxy, you just want to see a little more variety, you know, just and just to see some familiar things like can bring you back. Like, I'm not asking for like 50 50. Just give me 10 percent. I'd be happy besides not including, yeah. you know, Chewbacca and Admiral Akbar and you know, Nia Num. You know, give me like a Rodian. Give me a Twilight. Uh, give me a, you know, whatever. I mean. I mean, I want to see another freaking hut in a movie, for God's sakes. I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, give me something. Yeah. And I guess, like, to clarify, because you said something which is really interesting, which is that you want both more familiarity and more variety. And I think that's not as paradoxical as it sounds, because one of the things that kind of bothers me about this cantina scene, and, you know, I was kind of call it the cantina scene to make it easier. It's It's not the same type of clientele as as the original cantina clientele like every <laughs> no um i don't think the two crowds would mix really um it's not every director wants to put their own stamp on something like the star wars creature shows you know that that scene where the doors open and you go into the creature part of the movie is is iconic and every director wants to put their own stamp on that so of course I'm sure Ryan Johnson would have thought very carefully about what he wants to see in a scene like that. But when I look at this image, the human faces are almost more interesting to me than the alien ones because you've got some people who have like really neat costumes, but the aliens, like their eyes are almost lost in their faces sometimes. Like you've got kind of big shapeless heads and small eyes and they the personality gets lost a little bit like even like in rogue one with two tubes or something that alien kind of has character to it these i felt lacked that a little bit yeah i i just think that again we have to see them in motion and in context with the music with like the with the in-universe music i'm assuming that will be playing behind it and what what it represents in the in in the galaxy far, far away and what I'm assuming Finn and, and Poe and all of them will be doing there. So I'm, I'm very interested where that's going to go. Um, again, I'm, I'm a little underwhelmed by what I'm seeing, but I, I'm in no way, shape or form saying that that's, that's what I'm going into the movie as it just wasn't, didn't make me excited, you know, like, but again, I'm wondering if it's going to have the exact opposite of like the force awakens, the force awakens vanity fair, like Maz Kanata shots blew, you know, blew me away. This one doesn't blow me away, but I didn't like the Force Awakens one as much. In fact, that's one of my least favorite parts in Star Wars, the whole experience of on Mas Castle. But this one, you know, never know. I mean, I just I'm a, I'm always leaving myself open, you know, to to everything. So I, it's one of those things where you have to wait and see. Um, I, we got to talk about Benicio really fast. Um, so yes, so okay. <laughs> my oh, new favorite character. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. There was rumors, and, I, and, I, and I'm staying spoiler-free, but people were afraid that he could be like a Lando 2.0. And that's something that I definitely am, am, am scared about. I don't want I don't want a reoccurring themes in every middle chapter. And, and thankfully, George didn't put a Lando 
character in, you know, a scandal they all meet in a Attack of the Clones. And hopefully this is something different. I don't think he's going to be Lando, Lando 2.0. And mostly because... And so, like, and as by a Lando character, you mean, like, a smuggler that they can't necessarily trust? Yeah, or yeah. Or, like, a smuggler who kind of, like changes throughout the series or something yeah like basically a, a bringing a character that's kind of shady that you know is not exactly for good or for evil and you don't really trust them and that you don't lando turned out okay well lando i lo- freaking love lando don't get me wrong <laughs> i love lando so you know I, I just don't want to repeat it i don't want that repeated again but what's interesting about uh benicio's character is that he's nameless in the film but they have a they have a moniker they call him and that was really intriguing to me. The fact that he's, he's, he's nameless in the film, but they have a, a moniker of, they call him DJ. Like, so the, you know, D is in dog and J is in uh, jump for people who are trying to listen to my awful pronunciation. Um, so they call him DJ and they said that there's a, you'll find out why. Now everyone jumped to the conclusion of Dark Jedi. Not a bad conclusion to go to, personally. <laughs> now, now, hold on. Bear with me, Megan. I, I know you have some. Uh, no, I'm I'm laughing because that's not the conclusion I went to at all. But but go on. <laughs> well, right, right. Okay, so okay, so I'm I'm curious what you think DJ is besides that. But anyway, but here's my thing. I and I don't think this is going to happen. This is my own like speculation, and, I, and this is totally not informed speculation of anything. I don't. I avoid spoilers. Um, it'd be kind of cool. I, in my opinion, again, in my small, you know, narrow-minded opinion, I think it'd be kind of cool if Benicio was maybe one of Luke's um, students that escaped um, the massacre of Kylo Ren and, and the Knights of Ren. And that he's just hiding out, doing his thing, and he's nameless for a reason. He doesn't want to be found. And um, maybe he is a dark Jedi that he's kind of, you know, again, keeping the theme of, of the last Jedi. It would say it's plural. It's more than one, like the last few that are left, you know, even though they all – obviously it's Luke. I don't think this is going to happen, but I think it would be kind of cool if that he was a, kind of like a a character that was – if he's not a Knight of Ren, which I was hoping he would be maybe a, some a, or something along those lines. If he's not, I would love for him to be – like a Luke, um, tra- you know, ex-trainee that escaped and is trying to stay away from everything because he doesn't want to be hunted down again like, you know, just like he was before. Just something interesting to think about, especially if, he, if, they, if his name is, you know, moniker Dark Jedi for a reason. You know, if that is, is in fact, is, uh, his, is what they call him. But what do you think? What would you jump to for, the, for that? Well, I do think that would be cool. And I have not read the rumors that it sounds like you have. I've generally been staying away from rumors, but not, not from official information. Like, I'm, I'm reading what I can get my hands on, but not so much rumors. So I definitely, I, I don't think he's going to be as important as something like Luke's apprentice would would imply. And that's partially because of the way the TFA was uh, marketed. So we saw characters like the infamous Zuvio, who was supposed to be in a scene and have sort of a plot point with Rey, and that didn't end up in the movie. I, I feel like, and like Benicio Del Toro is a significant actor, you would, you know, he would do fine in a a part, I'm sure. But I feel like his role isn't going to be that big and that he doesn't have a name because it just doesn't come up in the story. But maybe, maybe I'm not interpreting it enough. I don't know. Because when I heard DJ and he, 
it seems I'm not sure what planet he's on, but he seems to be kind of a grungy guy and like in this back alley or something that he's just sort of part of the again, I'm going to use this word, the flavor of the scene. He's just there in the background. And when I heard DJ, my first thought was Daft Punk's cameo in Tron Legacy, where they are <laughs> DJing like they're playing music. <laughs> what if Benicio really is a DJ? Yeah, Holy I, was, crap. I was not like solving riddles here at all. I was just like, oh, obviously, he's a disc jockey, clearly. <laughs> So I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not even I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm actually blown away. You might be right. <laughs> what if this guy is nameless but they but he's like or you know, he's 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 controlling the music that's playing and that's just you know what he's at his role on 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 bite, whatever the whatever the hell it's called. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, you know, th- honestly, and that would make sense because like he's you know, oh he my could gosh. be an informant or something yeah. the way we saw the informant in Moscanado's castle. I think I would think he's going to have that size of uh, a role in the plot, the same way the informant did in Maz's castle, like really short wow. scenes. Wow. That is, wow. That's, that's, insane. but I, like I say that partially because, because we were kind of burned by Zubio. <laughs> like we were, were theorizing burned. about unless who he was. Unless and, your name is Heath. You you were not burned by Zuvio. You just love Zuvio. Who loves to yeah <laughs> Heath. I love I love your your Zuvio love is is inspiring. I just want you to know that. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, a <laughs> I, I I don't the DJ. I'd be pretty amazing actually if he's actually like controlling <laughs> music. I, I'd still blown away by this. Um, uh, I'll feel really silly if he's like super important and I was just taking it super literally, but we'll see. Well, I thought his name was his DJ. I think a lot of people when they were reading it fast were saying like, oh, it's DJ. That's his name, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's what they called him. He was nameless. This is interesting. So um, really quick, I want to add one last thing that, that Ryan kind of mentioned, that there is an alien species with Luke down on, on the planet. And oh yeah, the like servitor species. What was the exact phrase he used? Um, it, indigenous. Is that what he said? Um, species. He, I I think so, but that wasn't quite the operative word for me. It was like, oh man, I don't have it in front of me. Like indigenous caretakers. Yeah, so, yeah. So and he said they're not Ewoks, but it, it, alluding to the fact they might be smaller. Now there was a lot of people saying, are they like Yoda? Are these are Yoda characters. Oh, that'd be a, I, oh my god. That would imagine if he was on the planet of, of Yoda species. Yeah, that'd I think, be a twist. Oh man, we would all just—I'll be honest—it'd blow my balls off. And honestly, I'd just be like, "Oh my god!" Like it just would be. Like, Whoa! Yeah, yeah, it's okay. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I'd it blow it just, it just everything would just explode and just be—I'd be done. Um, I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, it would be. Gonna have to adjust the rating of this podcast. Bro. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, but no, but seriously, like, how nuts would that be? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I, there's, there's no way. I mean, there's your variety in aliens if that's the case, but oh, I don't know. The whole, um, caretaker card, species was a strange, I just, does that mean they're taking care of Luke? Like, why would they take care of Luke? He just showed up one day. Do they take care of the island? Maybe that's what they I, do? I think they're native to the, the planet, one. 
And I think that because it was the first Jedi Temple, I think that that's what they're probably think they're serving. The oh, that's so, that's a good idea. Yeah, so I think that's and and, that, and he's probably like and that's how he's probably able to like you know stay in contact with people. I'm actually to be honest, I'm really excited to see him. Like I had no idea. I had again, I've been avoiding spoilers like crazy. I had no idea there were a caretaker like aliens on the planet with Luke. So that's really cool. Like I can't wait to see what they got you know pl- you know planned up. So. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, was there anything you wanted to talk about? Do you want to talk about those care- those caretaker aliens anymore, or anything else you wanted to uh, bring up real fast? No, I think that's it about the um, the images. I, I really liked the images of like established characters. We saw the First Order. Um, Phasma looks awesome. We uh, we saw Ray's new outfit. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to learning more about the actual plot because this gave us a lot of context but we still don't really know what's going on for our our favorite characters in this movie um the only other thing is when i was looking at ryan johnson's twitter before doing this is like research he's also excited about the new mountain goats album and that just endears him to me immediately and like paul and i we bonded over music when we first started podcasting together so i thought that was a cool like tie-in ryan johnson is kind of friends with John Darnell, I think, because John Darnell wrote the last Jedi song, which everyone should listen to. It's very strange. And uh, he's excited for the new album, which is Goths. And Rain in Soho is a very cool song. And that's all. That's the thing I have in common. I was never a mountain. <laughs> I was never a mountain goats guy. But if, if he's into the mountain goats, I'm sure we'll have familiar music taste. So. Ryan Johnson, if you ever want to do a playlist, exchange playlist on Spotify, holler at your boy. So, Oh, man. Yeah. Open invitation. Open invitation. And Goths is like – it's called Goths. That about tells you what you need to know about it. But I, I'm I like goth music. goth music. Is, goth music is awesome. Yeah, check out Rain in Soho. But, um, yeah, so that's – I guess that's that about The Last Jedi. Um, we are going to move on to talking about books, I think. Yes. And books. the um, – the first one we are going to talk about is Thrawn, which I think both of us kind of don't have too much to say about, right? <clears throat> like, um, Paul, you finished it now. I've I've had had it finished for quite a while. Um, <laughs> Timothy Zahn's new book was super popular at Celebration. Del Rey actually oh, yeah. ran out of copies at the booth and had to have more flown in because so many people wanted to get this they book and wanted in? to get. Yeah, that, I mean that's what I heard. Um, wow. That they had to like brought bring in a second shipment, so people were really excited about getting the pins and like getting to see Tim Zahn, and it was a huge deal for a lot of fans. Um, as I'm sure you've heard if you listen to me podcast before, <laughs> Thrawn is just not my Star Wars. Like I just. I didn't really latch on to his trilogy when I first became a fan. It, it just never really did it for me. So I wasn't expecting too much from this book. Um, it shows how Thrawn first got involved with the Empire, shows him kind of going from the Chiss Society into the Empire and how he rose through the ranks. Um, I thought it was pretty dull. It didn't give us all that much, but we got some... Twitter feedback and Paul, you recently finished the uh, audio version. So, what what did you think? Well, okay, so 
I, for people who need to know about me and novels, if if you gave um, Megan and and Saf and, and Saf will be hopefully returning soon. Um, Saf and or Megan and I would novel on the same day. It would take me probably a month longer to finish it than they would, you know, than than than, than them, because they are a lot faster readers than I am. So I have to um, you know use audiobooks as my way of, of plowing through these things as much as possible or as fast as possible. Um, and I've really over the last year or so, I really have fallen in love with audiobooks, and um, I'm very blessed to get them. And uh, Thrawn is one of those books that if I had to read this book, there's no way in hell I'd finish it. There's just no way. I would be – it wasn't poorly written. It just was not engaging at all. Now, that being said, Mark Thompson does the audiobook, and he single-handedly saved me from dropping this book completely because he does an amazing – Thrawn voice. And I have to say that if, it, you know, Mark Thompson, he kept me going because there was times I almost stopped it. Not because of him, because it's the book was just not grabbing me. I didn't like the price stuff. Governor price, you, you kind of, you know, we finna, uh, it's a, I always want to call her a Linda, but she's, it's, a it's a, a Hinda or what? Oh my gosh. My name? Arinda. Arinda. See, yep. I, I'm, 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 I'm terrible with names. Don't tell me your name. I'll just forget it and butcher it. It's just a fact. Um, Who are you again? Exactly. Uh, Arinda Price. I, I just wasn't into her story. I felt it was very forced into the book. And I understand that they are kind of connected in Rebels. Um, and that's one reason that you had to br- kind of bridge that a little bit. But at the same time, I just didn't care about anything she was doing. I thought all that stuff on Coruscant was just... It just, I mean, I thought some of the Thrawn stuff was kind of boring, yes, but when it went to, you know, Arinda Price, I'm like, ooh, I, this is not, not my, not my bag. So I just, it just did not grab me the way that I, I really needed it to. Um, but that being said, I really enjoyed Eli um, Vanto. And I, and, and again, Mark Thompson does a great Eli kind of like almost like a southern, you know, southern accent a little bit, or not southern, but like a Texas accent. And at first it was a little like jarring, but I actually grew to love like the voice, and I actually love the character. And I realized halfway through the book, I'm like, Thrawn's not like an an evil like jerk. He's kind of like he's not like a bad guy. And I and I thought that was really strange because. The book version character of Thrawn is very different than the Rebels characterization, I thought. So am I wrong? Did you get the same impression? Huh. I think that part of what drew me to Eli, too, and I liked I liked Eli better than either Thrawn or Price. I liked Price better than Thrawn. But um, Girl, that crazy. was because those characters made choices. So Eli had to choose whether to go with Thrawn or to do what he thought he was going to do and kind of rise up the ranks in the Empire in his own job. And Price had to decide, like, how much he was willing to kind of of commit, but in a ruthless way, to Lothal and to the Empire. Um, Thrawn didn't really change very much. He just kind of appeared and was very um, 
observant and very intelligent and stayed that way. And I still didn't get a great sense of why he had the ambition that he had. And I would say that he was portrayed as more ambitious than evil. He wasn't like wantonly cruel so much as maybe we saw in Rebels, but he didn't, the motivation behind his ambition was not interesting to me. Whereas I could understand Eli kind of wanting to get away from his like provincial life, but also not wanting to get too embroiled with this Thrawn situation. So that was, uh, that was my feeling about them. Yeah. I, I, I thought that the, there was moments of Thrawn that I really liked. Like when he's talking to, uh, by the way, you should probably talk about spoilers. You know, if I'm assuming if you read, if you haven't read Thrawn, or if, or if, you, if you're listening to this because you probably have oh. Thrawn. But just in yeah, case... Yeah, well, we can say, like, yeah, like, skip ahead 20 minutes if you don't want spoilers, yeah. right? This probably just be yeah. a few minutes, so just, just skip ahead a few minutes. But um, at least I think. And you let me know if you have any more to add to this, I guess. But basically, uh, the, the the stuff with, with um, Emperor, like, I thought that was interesting. And how, basically, one of the things I thought this book was really cool, one of the things that made it cool, anyway, was the fact that you basically set up the unknown regions with Thrawn and that he, you know, we all knew that he through like other books, like, um, Oh my gosh, the uh, empire's end that we know Thrawn kind of mapped out the unknown regions for the empire. And that's what the first order kind of follow. But the fact that, that, you know, Thrawn tells the emperor that there is an outside threat that's, you know, coming, not coming, but that there's, you know, there's threats in the unknown regions that you don't know about that, you know, you need to know. And the, and a motive, and they are basically are what motivates Thrawn to go in to join the Empire and things like that. So that was kind of cool. But again, that's just that's not really it's not really a, a point of the book. It's just it's just a nice little Easter egg. And then mm-hmm. you know, so there's there's really cool stuff that it sets up. Like with again, like you talked about Eli in the very end of that book. So there's stuff that it sets up. I thought I thought the stuff that it set up was better than the actual book itself. So, hmm. you know, I don't – and personally, I'm just going to say it right now for all you Yuzon Vong fans. It's not, not the Vong. The Vong, <laughs> the Vong do not belong in canon. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you love the Vong. The Vong are not canon. They will not be – they shouldn't be canon. If they do make them canon, God help us. I love them and you should uh, not call Megan, them no. by only one part of their name because it's rude. But this is not them. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Now, do you think it's Snoke and what he represents? Mm, okay. I'm going to temporarily put off answering that question because I think that with what we know about Empire's End right now, that's a complicated question. Because something's clearly going on in the Unknown Regions, and I love what they're doing with the Unknown Regions. Um, We got a comment on Twitter from Mark at Qui-Gon Smith, who said, I finished Thrawn really wanting a sequel about Vanto, the Chiss, and the early First Order in the Unknown Regions. And I would agree with that, but I would say that what I actually want is a prequel. Because what you said is right. A lot of the things they introduced in this book were, like, tangentially interesting, but then weren't really explored anymore i'd love to see what the chist society is actually like now what's going on in their little corner of the unknown regions what was thrawn before he was kicked out of the, of the chist many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, I really think. It's too early to answer any questions about Snoke right now. Mm. Um, I love what they're doing with the Unknown Regions in the uh, Aftermath series, where they're talking about kind of space doesn't work the same way out there, and Mm. also kind of perception doesn't work the same way out there. So, like, people go mad and people get lost, and maybe that happened to Snoke, or that was done intentionally to Snoke because he was trying to get whatever power it was that Palpatine mm. found out there or because he is the power that Palpatine found out there. Mm. I don't know. We could theorize about that for a long oh, time. We could. Yeah. But I guess the thing that is more interesting to me right now about Thrawn is actually the Chiss themselves and what are they, what are they doing? What do they know? Right, right. No, actually, no, totally. And and really quick, um, Mark, who who asked the question um, on Twitter, he's on a he's on a podcast called the Jedi Archives. Um, it's uh, on Twitter at Jedi Archives Pod. Please check it out. Him and his wife do the podcast. They're fantastic. They're good people. So please check that out. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with them. I love a, a book follow up with Eli. And the the chiss, you know, even if it was a short story, you know, like you know, we have there's so much. The anthology books are kind of uh, uh, mostly lost in, in the new canon. We have the alien stuff from The Force Awakens, and then now we have the, the 40th anniversary um, Blue Milk, um, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> it is. From a certain point yeah, of view. Yeah, from a certain point of view. I call it Blue Milk because that whole shenanigans. But no. It's that too. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> so, so personally, I feel like that's more um, – like that's more like it'd be cool to have it something something like that. I'm not sure we need like a novel per se, like an adult novel of just Eli and the Chiss. Maybe some people would, but I think it'd be cool to kind of touch on it in a in a smaller fashion. Um, that'd be cool. So yeah, I would love to get more to know more about the Chiss and and, 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 uh, and Eli. So yeah, I'm all about that for sure. But. I'd say I'll, I don't know if we ever really move on from 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 uh, Thrawn because I'll just kind of give my wrap up my thoughts about it. Sure. Yeah. All, okay. all I was gonna do was make a joke about how it could be a young reader novel called Eli and the Chiss, which is just about Eli <laughs> learning. Like <laughs> Eli finds the Chiss library. Oh. Eli is very happy. Wow. You know what? <laughs> but anyway, love, yeah, I'm done. This. I have no other thoughts about that. No, I, I would, so would you would say that Thrawn? Well, it's not like the worst written. It's just not. It's just not as interesting as the other books. Correct. I think if you like Timothy Zahn's work in general, and if you like the excerpt, that's the other thing. I found the Palpatine scene to be 
unsatisfying. What? Um, if you like the excerpt, yeah. Because he kept explaining how bored everyone was in that scene. There were, like, four words to describe how Palpatine sounded tired or bored or or not concerned and it was supposed to make him creepy because it was supposed to be like he's making these huge important galactic decisions but he's really blasé about it and you can't tell what's going on behind his face but to me it just was like everyone's yawning in this scene wow (laughs) but that's that's just me yeah i I think like the adverbs at all (laughs) yeah they're the the inner monologues of Throm was a little jarring at first, and I didn't really like it. I got used to it in the, towards the middle, and I was fine with it at the end. But yeah, I, like I said, Mark Thompson, the, the you know the, the audiobook for this was what saved this book for you know for me. I was, there's no way I would have continued it if not for his his brilliant uh, voice work on on this book. So if you're gonna check out Thrawn, I honestly couldn't recommend the the audiobook more. It's it's fantastic. So definitely check that out. So the next one that we are going to talk about is um, Guardians of the Wills, which I also don't have a ton to say about, but in a good way. This was just, it was about Baze and Chira and them helping out um, an orphanage, essentially, on Jeddah during the Imperial occupation of Jeddah. And it was just really fun. It was uh, Greg Rucka writes their voices really well. I laughed out loud at part of it. It was kind of a nice, pleasant story. Um did you? What did you think of it, Paul? Um, I liked it. Uh, like you said, it's there's, it's it's unfortunately, or it's unfortunate we don't have a lot to say about it because it's such a short book. It's literally 138 pages, and ironically, it still took me a week and a half to finish it. It just shows you how brutal it is for me to read books. This did not have an audiobook, by the way, which I was so devastated at first, and I realized why. It's because it's so dang short, it's not even worth it to put an audiobook out there. So, um, that being said, uh, I, I thought it was a fun little story. Greg Rucka is just, he's just underutilized in Star Wars. They use him, but they don't use him enough, I feel. And I just want more Greg Rucka in Star Wars. I think he everything he does, I end up really liking, uh, or, or I end up really like. Um, so uh, I can't talk today. Um, I just love everything he does. Okay, so <laughs> Shattered Empire, um, Smugglers, um, the, the Smugglers uh, Run, I think is what it's called. That was in a The Force Awakens, Journey of the Force Awakens. Uh, this book, I mean, there's so many things that he, you know, he's done that like with Star Wars that like I'm just like this is great. Let's get more. I keep pounding the table for him to do some kind of Knights of Ren. Um, you know, prequel story or something like that before The Force Awakens with him and uh, Mike Diodato from, uh, you know, Marvel, Marvel Comics fame. Of, you know, he's done, Mark Diodato does tons of great stuff. He's doing Thanos comic right now and it looks, art is beautiful. Him and Greg together would just be an unstoppable force. But anyway, um, back to The Guardians of the Wills, uh, I, I really liked it. Um, like I said, it's not, there is some revealing stuff in it. I felt like there was some cool, what do you think of like the force passages that the the, the disciples of the fo- of the wills or disciples of, or I think the disciples of the wills? I was actually just going to bring those up. That was one of my favorite things about this book, and I was flipping through to see some of them because I just love. Um, we keep using this word, but like I like good flavor. So just words that evoke 
a strange society or little tidbits that could unfold into something bigger. Uh, Chuck Wendig is really good at that as well. And Greg Rucka was really good at that in this book because between chapters, you got these little meditations about the force. And there are 10 of them, maybe 10 or 11. And uh, one of my favorites was the um, collected poems of the central isopter, because I just thought that was such a cool name for like a group of people like, oh, yes, I am a disciple of the central isopter. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> um, it's fun to say. Yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. They had... Um, uh, you say I cannot name the nameless, nor praise the unknown, nor swear upon that I do not understand when all ends in death, and I say, then you are not alive. Like, mm. that's that's really evocative. Yeah. And then, so there are several of these, and then in, toward the end, the, the Sith Code and the Jedi Code show up, listed as one of these many different mantras that the Disciple of the Wills have collected. And it showed really well how the Sith and the Jedi are just two different philosophies. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're dominant philosophies, but they're just two among so many. And what the Guardians of the Wills did was collected all these different Force philosophies and tried to preserve all of them. And I really liked that. No, totally. Um... I I love the little tidbits we got about Chirrut, about more of how he kind of works as a blind warrior. And that, you know, one of the things that I thought was cool was that it kind of explained that he could feel the force and he could use the force in a way, but it wasn't all the time. He couldn't just tap into it. Yeah, when, he was mm-hmm. aware of it. Mm-hmm. more so than he could use it. But it still helped him, I think, fight and do those things. That's the thing. It kind of just came and went. So, like, it's, it's one of those things where he, if he felt led by the Force, it would... it. So it used him in a way. He was using it, but it was, it was more using him, but he just would... Whenever it was there, he would use it. If it wasn't there, he wouldn't use it. So it's like... It's and again, that's a very spiritual thing, and you're bringing you know we've talked about the many chlorians and how George put a very scientific thing onto the force. Again, I thought Rogue One brought it down to a, such a spiritual level, and it, and this just really invokes that even more. The fact that Chirrut, you know, again he uses the force, but it's not like he's a Jedi. He is just being a, a conduit of the force, like he is being an instrument for it. And when he when he feels it, that's when he goes for it. If he doesn't, he's not going to. So that's why I think he's not like. That's why he's a guardian. He's like when when the when the force needs to use him, it will use him, and he knows. He, that's why he says he trusts in the force. Everything is as the force wills it. If it wills him to fight and protect, he will use it. That it wasn't. And now it is, it's not very clear if that's what it is in the book, but that's what I interpreted it as. Is that something that you got the same idea? Well, I like that you said it uses him more than he uses it, because I think that ties into the very spiritual nature of the force for him. And that that makes sense to me. I would classify him as like very mildly force sensitive, but extremely perceptive, if that makes sense. Well, I think he had to work at it. I don't think he was just naturally like, oh, I got the force. Hey, what's up? Like, I think he had to really, you know, focus and train (laughs) like, you know, himself. Because he had the. He had the attitude for it, too. He would have mm-hmm. been 
practically force sensitive, even if he couldn't feel it because right. he had the discipline and the attitude and like the inner peace. Right. And I think maybe being blind helps him get to use that to his advantage to like, he doesn't trust what's in front of him and he has to reach out and try to find the force in order to, you know, see the things and to fight. I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, I mean, it's half of that infamous, you know, argument about he's blind. He can't fight. You know, he's plenty of blind warriors. And I understand, but I mean, like, I think in order for to do what he does, he has to be able to use the force and see in some regard and being blind, I think is kind of like, again, you trust the force. He's using he lets the force guide him and he knows it lets him go where he needs to go. So I I I love that aspect of him. There is a passage about that where I actually oh. thought about that discussion that, that we had and I, I can't flip to it right oh. now. It would take too long. Unfortunately, I should have bookmarked it. But it was basically the about how he can he uses the force as support. So he knows how to walk around he knows how to operate while being blind he's functional he makes jokes about it he jokes about like i can't see a wall in front of my face um but the force kind of assists him Mm -hmm. so to me the book was definitely leaning more toward yes the force enables him to fight the way he can but it also made sure to point out that he knows how to do plenty of things right even without that. Right. And, and uh, our friend Violet, who um, we got the pleasure to meet and hang out with at Celebration, uh, wrote to us on Twitter and said, Guardians of the Wills was a great read. I'd like to see more of them. What new stories would you want to see develop from the Guardians of the Wills history? Now, it's a great question, Violet, and thank you for your, uh, t- your Twitter question. Uh, personally, I would I – mean, I think the obvious thing is what's the origin of Bayes and Chirrut meeting together? I think that's – have whenever you have a pair that, that you, people come in and you don't see the, the, it form in front of your face right away, the first, it's, you know, the first thing you want to see is how they meet. How do they know each other? How are they so tight? Blah, 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 blah. So um, I think that's the first thing I jump to. To be honest, I like ba- – I love both of them together. Don't get me wrong. But I'm a huge Chirrut fan. Like I want to see – how did Chirrut become so spiritual? You know, I would love to see how, was he always blind? Did he become blind? You know, what made him blind? Um, something like that would be really cool. Like, um, are you, have you ever seen the mo- or the TV series Carnival from on HBO? No. It's very good. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. Um, it's, uh, there is a, a character in the Carnival of the, these carnies from like the 1930s or 20s or something like that. It's a like really early 1900s. Um, and this, this traveling carnival, carnival, um, they, this, one of the, well, this guy is a magician. He's blind, but he becomes blind because he tries to tap into this magic and that he has no power of. And he tries to gain a power from it. He takes his sight away, but he gets some of the power. I think it'd be kind of interesting if if maybe Chirrut had something like that where he was trying to be like a Jedi. Like, I'm going to seek out the Jedi and, and, and maybe he thought like he went out and did some weird force stuff that made him blind. And through the blindness, he became more spiritual, but he lost his sight. But that became like only a good thing for him because it became, it became more close to the force. Something like mm-hmm. that would be really interesting. Like he embraced the force more once he um, – once he did that. So, um, I don't know, like that, that'd be something really cool. It's really out there. I realize, but it's just something to think about. So yeah, I, I would love to see the origins of Chirrut and how Bayes and, and them met. Yeah. 
those were my my thoughts too. I want to know why, um, like, why is Tyr blind? When did it happen? And how did they meet? And um, I I like that idea that the the blindness kind of changed him because it does it contains character development. You know, it means he changes. But I'm also I kind of like the idea of not so much he has a complete 180 where his personality changes, but more like he has to choose to commit to something. Like he maybe, you know, maybe there are kyber crystals that are on fire or something and create such a bright light that no one can go in and, and stop them and they're going to burn down a part of the temple. And he goes in because he is so selfless that he's willing to do that even though he knows it would wound him. And then when he comes out, he kind of has to grapple with, he did it very intentionally. It wasn't like a, a mistake or a change of heart, but it, he has to sort of deal with the reality of the consequences because that really doubles down on the idea that he is, he's very heroic and he's very selfless. And I, I kind of don't want to see a Chirrut who isn't that way. But that's just like that's right. just one other possibility. My only other answer that's different from the one that you gave is that I want to see more about the pupils of the central eye softer. But <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just because I really enjoy saying that. So. Right. Well, I don't blame you. I love saying. I love you know. I love that Leanna Halleck guy just because he sells it. You know, really weird. So I mean, there's trust me. I, I'm all about. <laughs> Uh, weird, weird, uh, weird, weird, weird things to like. Um, so I think it's safe to say we both love this book, or not love, but we both like this book quite a bit. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. This is definitely one that, especially if you have kids that just kind of want a Star Wars adventure, and it does have a level of violence to it. Like, check it out whether it's something that would be appropriate for your kid, but it's like a good Star Wars book to recommend to somebody that saw Rogue One doesn't necessarily have a lot of knowledge about the universe, but wants a cool adventure story with some nice, like, philosophy. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally, totally. Um, all right. So what's next? on? The, what's the last thing on the docket we have for today? The last thing on the docket is Rebel Rising, the uh, young adult book about Jin's history. Mm. And this one covers mostly everything in Jin's life from when we see her go into the cave in the beginning of Rogue One to when we see her in jail in the, uh, like after the flash, the flash forward in Rogue One. So it covers a lot of ground. It explains kind of why she believes what she does. It uh, talks about her training with Saw, which Paul was really excited about. And then yes. it talks about kind of her life as a drifter and how she got to be the way she was. I uh, I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was very easy to compare it to the Ahsoka novel simply because it's a like similar format. It's a young adult book from Disney Publishing that covers ground between sections of a character's life that uh, we know very well. We just don't know what happened in between. But one of my kind of issues, and I think one of the more vocal fan complaints about Ahsoka was that it didn't actually answer all the questions. It didn't cover everything from when she left the Jedi to when she found the rebels. Um, Rebel Rising covered everything. You know, almost all of Jin's history now, with some places in between where you could tell more stories if you wanted to. But So I thought it was a very, um, it was a very sort of 
satisfying is kind of a clinical way to put it. But if you're going in just to know how Jin got from point A to point B, it absolutely tells you that. And if you're going in to find more about her character, um, the author kind of trusts the reader to know a little bit more what's about what's going on than Jin does. Like some of Saw's companions join the, the rebellion and the reader knows what they're doing, but Jin is really young and she doesn't know. I always like when authors trust their readers or reward their readers who may be reading it a second time and are, uh, understand it differently the second time. Um, so I really liked that about it. I thought it was pretty well done. There were parts that kind of um, sagged a little in the middle. There were parts that I didn't love, but generally it was a really good exploration of Jin and I really like her character. So it was kind of fun to follow along with her for a while and figure out why she thinks the way she does. Yeah. I, I like the book, you know, quite a bit too. Um, I think we both didn't like the middle part of the book the most. Um, there was, there was a few things I wish they would have tweaked a little bit. Um, for the most part, I, I but I, I really dug it. Um, of course, my favorite parts were with Jin and Saw when they're just the, the two of them. Um, that basically was the the most of the first part of the book, probably the first quarter I'd say, um, where he's you know he he's taking her from um, the planet that his parent her parents were killed on, and him taking her on the you know to his you know base of operations, and him training her the only way he knows and. All the quiet moments between the, the two of them and her kind of growing up in this, like, you know, military environment was very, very interesting. And I loved those moments so much. I wanted so much more. But unfortunately, it's, it's not all there. It wasn't. And again, it wasn't all bad because as Jin gets older, she becomes more part of, you know, of the establishment that Saw is, is creating. And at one moment, you know, at one time he calls her his daughter. And I just love that because you don't. He doesn't yeah. say that in in the in the in the movie. He says, you know, aren't we still friends? And I thought that was really interesting. That you know, Saad really wanted her to be his daughter. You know, he really looked at her. But but ultimately, it was the cause that that drove Saw. It was revenge. It was that's every. It overshadowed everything in his life, and that's obviously what makes him. The you know I think more sympathetic complex character than most people would say because he's not he's not someone that you would you know he, what he did to Jin was was awful I was having a great debate with someone on Twitter about this um, when the, the book came out and they were saying how how awful Saw was I'm like he is he was a very awful thing but I don't think of him as an awful person he made awful decisions yes but he ultimately still like saved Jin he went and, and brought you know for the you know for the Ursos and he did it to protect her it was the wrong thing everything had good intentions by Saw but there were the wrong things to do and they were you know obviously they were they were things that he shouldn't have done but he always cared and loved her enough to try to protect her so it was. It's just one of those things where I thought it was interesting that yes, Saw's such a complex character. He's not someone you're going to necessarily root for all the time, but he's but he's someone that I love the complexity so much that it makes him an interesting character. What was your take on Saw? Well, the part when he calls her his daughter was really interesting because I think it. Um, so the author's Beth Revis. I think she did a really good job of so of showing how complicated Saw is, like you said, because I do think he means it. He raised her. I think he does 
see her as a daughter and like she definitely sees him as a father figure like the I have a lot of feelings about that familial relationship but also that's a point at which his certain members of his crew are starting to suspect that she is somebody important they don't know who exactly but they know that she's saw kind of wants to protect her and he doesn't want anyone to know that she's Galen Urso's daughter because she becomes immediately more valuable. So at the same time as he's saying it because he means it, he really did raise her. He's also saying it because he needs to cover up her real identity. And the fact that he can be both pragmatic and emotional at the same time is is a really good way to explore his character. Um, I definitely thought that he and Jin... And, like, the parts about her being raised on this island or this base where he spends a lot of his time um, were a little more, had a little more depth to them than the sort of foster family that Jin finds later. She uh, she ends up living with um, Akshaya Ponta and uh, her son is Hatter Ponta. And they are very obviously the kind of family that Jin never had. Like, they um, actually had a daughter who died. Um, Jin kind of comes in and lives with them. She starts a relationship with Hatter, and it's, like, all very sweet and whatever. But you know it's not going to last. So, but that was kind of predictable. Like, you you know it's not going to last because it's too perfect, whereas... Her story with Jin was, like, gritty and grim, and it never had any pretensions of being perfect. So I I thought the story got a little, uh, I don't want to go right out and say it was cliche, but part of it was <laughs> when um, when she was staying with the Ponta family. Um, I, I kind of wanted more about Saw at that point, too. <laughs> I know once, you know, again, and this is something we'll, we'll, we'll talk about as well, but it, it's funny when when they had the scene where um, Saw or you, you, where you hear uh, Jin tell Saw, you left me in a bunker with a loaded blaster and a knife. Um, we had both talked about, you know, you know, discussing what we're going to do for the show that we both were kind of confused of when that of what happened. I remember when it happened. I just wasn't really sure she was even in a bunker. If someone even like he left her, I'm like, wait, is this when he left her? Like I was, it wasn't very clear to me what exactly happened. So yeah, so um, the part, like the part before she finds the Ponta family is when that's supposed to have happened. But I found that scene confusing too. Paul and I were like texting each other, like this is confusing, right? Like yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> okay, and if it wasn't if it wasn't me, and it was Megan too. I know because I get confused easy in books. Don't get me wrong, but it was the fact that she was a little confused too. I'm like okay, because I think in the comic book, there's literally saw dropping off a blaster and walking away. Now, now we can talk about the, the, the Rogue One comic adaptation at some point. I'm not sure if you're reading that or not. It's actually no, not. No, I have not read that. It's not bad, but there's actually there's an actual scene of, and, I'll, and we can keep talking and I'll confirm this. I'm pretty sure um, there's an actual scene of, of Saw walking away from Jin um, in the bunker that she's talking about. But... It's not, but that's not how it works, right? Like he just he tells what you say. She she runs into a um, she's running through like a, a, these live mines. What you said, right? Yeah. So the part that where Saw and Jin get separated 
is they've just blown up a factory and there was a spy in, not a spy, like a traitor who was supposed to set up this whole plan and ratted them out to the empire. So they're, they're escaping saw Jin, this traitor and another soldier. They're running away from this factory that's being like carpet bombed. And so the only place to go is either the spaceport where there's two ships or this like live munitions testing field that saw very obviously and very conspicuously earlier said, don't go in there. It's very dangerous. Um, so what happens is like Saw and this traitor fight and Saw tells Jin to go hide in a bunker in the munitions area. And I'm generally pretty good at picturing things. When I read a book, it's like watching a movie. Like I have a very clear image of what it looks like in my head. But I had trouble picturing why Jin didn't just run to the ships in this section, why she stayed where she was. And I felt like she should have done something or she should at least have gone because her ship, the one she flew in on with Saw, was right there. I wasn't sure why she didn't go there. Um, yeah, this scene was, like, if it was on stage, I would say the blocking was confusing. And that's not something I often run into in books. Yeah, so I'm looking at the comic right now on my phone. And uh, basically what what I'm looking at is it's actually a really, really great scene. To kind of go off topic a little bit, in the somewhat. Um, in the scene where she meets up with Saw, they have a flashback of him with her, um, training her. There's actually a random scene with Bale and Saw going at it. I'm not really sure if that's canon or not, but that's a whole other story. But there's a scene where it shows her with a blaster and Saw's walking away sad. Now, this... And it's, it's alluding to the, what that scene is, but maybe this is not the same thing. This could be a whole different scene. Um, this could be on the base that they're at um, in the in the, in the in the book that Saw's training and he hides out on. I forgot the name of the planet, but um, I, I do apologize. That could be a totally different time of, of place because isn't she like informal wear at this point? When they're at the factory? No, at the factory. <laughs> I'm thinking of something else then. Okay, no, no, no. Yeah, no, that's a different planet. I, I've not read the comic, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Well, no, no, but yeah, it, it, she's basically it, she looks really young, like young because they, don't, they, don't they leave her at like 16? I think so. She was pretty young. She was like 14 or 16. Then. Okay, she looks pretty young in this, but I don't. You could, I think, you could easily the way it shows in, in the in the canon and in, in Rebel Rising, this is not the same scene. So maybe this is alluding to something different, but it, it's given the impression that he's leaving her behind, even though it's not exactly what happened. It's a different time of um, in the in the canon, I should say, or in, her, in their story together. But regardless, to say, you know, regardless, whatever, uh, I, I think that the book works the best when you have Saw and the Partisans all together. Um, when they're not there, it, it kind of gets a little dull at, for me. Even when she was on the planet, um, you know, and they and it has that imperial blackmailer to, to do counterfeit like gambling. Um, it was a little. I mean, I, I didn't dislike it, but it wasn't my favorite part of the of the book. But you know, there's. I still liked it, and it was still interesting. You know, you see the how res- resilient and resourceful 
of a, of a person that Jin is. And I think I, I, Jin is turning into one of my favorite Star Wars characters. I really do love that character a lot. And, and it's, I'm a little bummed because she, since she died so young, we're not going to get development really much, you know, much development from her. And maybe that's why, you know, you know, the fact that I, I know there's a limited cap on what you could do with her as a character because she dies in Rogue One. Maybe that's why I like the character so much is that, like, you, there's only so much you can do with the character. So, like, she's kind of like, you know, most of her story has been told, whereas a lot of people, you know, in Star Wars are kind of, you know, leaving things out. And, and there's a lot of things left out for Jen that you can still tell, but not as much as other characters. But what we've gotten, I just love the character, how resilient she is. She's strong. She's, you know, she can. she's just resourceful. She's not like this... She's an ass kicker, but she's not like a total badass. Does that make sense? Like she's not like they don't make her be some like, you know, Sabine Wren or something like that, you know, where she's this ultimate badass. Like she's like one of the best soldiers in his, you know, partisan group that she was turned into at a young age. But at the same time, like she could do other stuff, too. I don't know. I just really like Jin as a character. And I, de- I think the book definitely delivered on Jin, there was like there's just some of the tropes of 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 storytelling that I just didn't really like. The love stuff was really bad, to be honest. She has really unique skills, and I think we saw that here with how she bounces between jobs. So, like she does the counterfeiting job. She works with a slaver for a while, which that was it. It was a good story. It it really kind of had me concerned about what she was going to choose to do, whether she was going to go along with these really sort of horrible people because she was completely sort of dead to the idea of a philosophy that allowed more optimism than that, or whether she was going to kind of go with her heart and help these people that had been enslaved. That part was really interesting, but a lot of the parts toward the end almost read like anecdotes. They were disconnected from each other because different parts of Jin's life were also disconnected from each other. She was bouncing around the galaxy so much. I did like that she had that unique skill. She was um, doing forgery, which is, of course, what's mentioned in the movie. And I think that that's, Kind of like you said, but Sabine, I would almost use another example of a character who their traits aren't just they're good with a blaster, they're good with a weapon. Like, they have more unique traits than that. Sabine does her art, Jin does this forgery. So it's something that you can point to them and say this is a unique thing about them. But at the same time, the story kind of meandered a bit. And you mentioned about how you know how Rogue One ends, you know how Jin's going to die. And I always love dramatic foreshadowing. I always want a bit of like, I want to feel sad. I want to know that I know what's coming and Jin doesn't. And I didn't quite get that in the feeling with her, uh, her kind of foster family. And I was talking to Paul about this earlier, how I don't tend to really care either way for romance stories in Star Wars. That's just not really what I'm Therefore, like, a lot of them kind of read as the same to me, and I tend to skim over them. So I I asked Paul, like, is it just me because I don't usually like this, or is this actually kind of a boring romance? And he confirmed that he also thought it was a boring romance, so felt a little better about that. But romance isn't really both of our things, you know? It's just not... Yeah, I mean, we're not, like, the audience for that, I don't think. Not in a lot of cases. But at the same time, like, a book like Lost Stars, I felt 
did a, a fantastic job and it was a big part it was the main part of the story and it really worked and I love that yeah. and I love that book because so, it was tied in so well with the characterization exactly I felt of the, it was those main character yeah well and I think you said it uh, Megan it's like, it was so cliched and so um, what's the word it's very convenient for her to be like oh I have yeah. a, a monster again and I found a future boyfriend and it's like yeah like the fact yeah. that like of course, um, Acacia was a cool character, uh, um, but of course she has a son who's about Jin's age, and of course they find each other attractive. It was it was Ugh. too, it's too much. <laughs> See, and I th- I feel I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do because I feel Jin. I mean, Jin, she needs to have some good things happen to her, but I mean at the same time, it's like. You know, can they be like brother sister surrogate, just like how you know Saw and Jin were, you know, father and daughter surrogate, you know, something like that, like something like where she can, you know, this is her, you know, a different, you know, family for her, not like I'm a I'm the raging hormones of a teenager, so therefore we must be, you know, have that dynamic. It's like, come on, guys, let's let's get a yeah. little and let's I, yeah. I kind of felt that too, like they were using it as shorthand for oh, here's a thing that's like amazing and happy and something that Jin is going to lose and not be able to recapture. But you could have used so many other things for that. The family itself was enough. I I didn't necessarily think there also had to be the romance element. Yeah. But I think what's interesting is that we both really liked, I think we both liked it. I don't know if I really liked it, but I liked it. Um, There was parts. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's interesting to talk about some of the things that didn't quite work, but I really did like this book. I, I liked it as much as I liked Guardians of the Wills. It was longer, so there was more time right. for different things to happen and for, for more criticisms to come up. Right. But I did think it was really good. Disney publishing in general has been doing quite well. Yeah. No, I, I think they've been on par with the regular adult novels. I think I've really enjoyed I mean, it's also nice to kind of blow through a book really fast. It's not – I don't have to like you know spend a lot of time on like Thrawn where it felt like I was on that book forever. you know. But at the same time – there, I, I wish I do wish that maybe Rebel Rising was a longer book, and, and and that's the only reason why I'd say that it would be. I wish it was in a adult quote unquote book, not like because I'm disparaging young adult novels, but I just wanted more time with the characters, with you know Saw and his partisans and Jin and, and other things. I thought they could have done more with with Saw and Jin and more quiet moments. That's all I really wanted out of, uh, or as far as like wanting more that and cut the whole love crap out of that whole scene, of part of the book. But besides that, I mean, I wanted more Saw and Jin together you know, discussing the empire, you know, maybe Jen gets a lot of the stuff, you know, which you get that already, but I wanted more of it. And maybe I'm, I'm alone in that, but I, that's what I wanted. Um, maybe we'll get that some, somewhere down the line, but um, yeah, I, I recommend the book. I, again, listened to the audio book and it was narrated by um, what's her name here. I saw it. Oh, Rebecca solar. And she did a fantastic gin. I have to say, I was really, um, you know, it, it, she, her saw was a little weird. Like, like it, she wasn't talking like Saw. She just had like a really raspy voice, and that was kind of that took me out of Saw a little bit. But whatever, it's fine. But her gin was like one hundred percent spot on. So like every time she's talking, I only imagine it. Just I just saw um, you know gin or so from the, from Rogue One, you know, like totally. So it was. 
I will. I'll give. I'll give her a lot of credit for that. I really liked. I really liked her gin. So, um, yeah, I, I recommend the audiobook. Recommend the book. Um, it's definitely if you like Rogue One, you have to read Rebel Rising. It's it's a it's you'll get a lot of information from it. Highly recommended. Yeah, and if uh, there's a couple kind of tidbits about Rebels, the TV show in here that I that I thought was nice too. They they talk about Fulcrum, which is oh, yeah, Cassian yeah. for at least. You know, it'd be Cassian for most of this, but I liked the the rebels connection. Okay, okay. Was what else was in there with that? Uh, that uh, you actually was that the only one? I'm pretty sure that was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was. Everything. I'm sure there's more. Of, yeah. I'm it's sure like, there's oh, more. rebels connections, but there, I mean, there's the mention that one of the groups of Saw's partisans go and join the larger rebellion, but they don't talk about any more rebels characters or anything. Got you, got you, got you. Okay, all right. Well, uh, I think is that it. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I definitely agree. If you like Jin, if you like her mindset in Rogue One and kind of want to learn more about why she thinks that way, this is definitely a, a good book to pick up. And both of them are relatively quick. No, totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah. This is, it's been, you know, pick up. I'd say definitely avoid Thrawn. If you if your money's tight, don't pick up Thrawn. Check it out the library. And then go read Guardians of the Wells and Rebel Rising. Yep. And we, uh, we're going to have plenty to talk about throughout the summer. We have Inferno Squad coming oh, up. We have wait more for more, that. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, more and more authors are being announced for from a certain point of view. So oh, yeah, that, that's we're definitely to that. I'm hoping that they release that in audiobook form. I'm kind of nervous they won't, but I'm hoping they do because I like mm-hmm. – I like to read it, but if I start, if I have to read that book, like buy an actual book, I will. It'll take me two years to finish it because I'll just fall asleep every five minutes. Just guaranteed. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I guess yeah, I guess that's the end of the show. Um, Megan, yep. what, where can people find you on on social media? Um, so I write for Den of Geek. I write for StarWars.com and for Star Wars Insider. You can find the sort of hub for everything I do at blog full of words on twitter i also podcast at western reaches paul what else uh, what else do you do well before i go on you just released a awesome article about captain phasma on starwars.com is that correct oh yeah that was um my, my latest for starwars.com was five things you might not know about captain phasma it kind of ties into some of the news we got at celebration and talks about some of our weapons and things and like some of the stuff that you can kind of uh dig into if you if you don't know her super well and kind of see what's behind the mask so that was fun that's all yeah yeah that's awesome so please check that out um you can find me on twitter at herman with two n's 22 so it's herman 22 aka p thug um you can also follow us here uh at blaster cannon pod so um yeah it's cannon with c-a-n-o-n um, not canon like the canon you play on Battlefront or something like that. So yeah, please follow us there. Um, we're we're kind of me and Megan are, are both tag teaming, kind of going on there, posting music we like to listen to on there, and just kind of yeah, inter- we've been doing more of that. Yeah, interact with people more. So please, you know, you know, follow us on there, talk to us, give us your thoughts on the comic books and the books and whatever Star Wars, uh, you know, opinion opinions you guys have. We'd love to hear it. Um, but yeah, so I guess we will hope next, next time we'll, we'll come back on. Uh, we, we, I'm not sure. We might go with rebels. We might have some other things to go on. We have comics to go over too. 
Don't forget the comics. Don't forget about those. Yep, the the Darth Maul comics going to be wrapping up. I was afraid to say that we were going to have a Rebels episode again because we keep saying we're going to have a Rebels episode, and now I need to rewatch the finale. So uh, maybe we'll do it. I don't maybe know. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But if I'm you not need promising to. anymore. Yeah, I, I was going to say I don't know if you need to rewatch the finale or not. But <laughs> so anyway, all right. So we'll see y'all. We'll we'll see you all next time. <laughs> Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 